It's great to be here. What a week, huh? What a week. I mean, when we... Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, I always forget. Kids can be dismissed. And while they're on their way, it was quite a week. Sorry as I get my clunkiness ready to go here. But man, I tell you what, I am so excited to be here this morning to bring you Psalm 65. You know, when we look at what happened this week and we see uh, all the things that the Lord did through the fact that the air conditioning broke. And I remember Matt and I were here Wednesday afternoon when um, he realized that the air conditioner wasn't working and he called me and I came down and we were sitting there going, well, what do we do? We just invited the entire town of La Junta to come and eat with us on Thursday and it's 87 degrees in our fellowship hall with no chance of ever getting it cooled off. And we prayed for wisdom and God gave us peace almost immediately to the both of us. And he said, you know, I feel like it's time for us to continue on and just trust him. And so we did. We did. And you guys had all signed up. I mean, I just got to tell you how grateful we are. We talked about that earlier this week. A church, even our size, most people don't sign up for things. Almost every one of you signed up to help and be a part of it. And so, you know, you get a little choked up when you think about how wonderful and faithful you are. And even though it was 87 degrees in our sanctuary, you came and you served. You served without any complaint. You served through the sweat, which we didn't sweat that much on the food, so you didn't have to salt it much. You know, it's a little gross, I get that. But, but nonetheless, you came and you served, and even though we didn't have as many people as we would have liked, it's possible, when you think about it, that the Lord may have saved us from that, from having a bunch of people come into our place in a very hot and humid environment where that only brings more heat and we pass out. And then Friday we come and it's very hot. And as Matt said, we had been praying since then about just, can we just get air conditioning to come on? Can we just get some coolness to happen in here? We were scrambling for places to have church today in case the air conditioner didn't come on. And to make a long story short, I don't know what time it was on Friday, it was late, like four, five maybe, Matt called me and said, we have air conditioning. And as Matt said, there's somebody in this room today who God used as an answer to prayer. And let me tell you something. God answers prayer. And he uses you as his answers. Now Chris, I'm not going to point you out as the one, but I... <laughs> <laughs> but, but God uses us as the answer to prayer. And when we say yes to God, you have no idea what kingdom work he has for you. And so as I was thinking through this, and I was trying to figure out how to open this up, and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what happened this week, but God this morning brought David and Goliath to mind. 
And when we talk about David and Goliath, a lot of times, if we make it a kid's story, and we talk about, you know, that we all have giants and we're supposed to defeat our giants. But I'm going to tell you something. That is not really the point of David and Goliath. That's a point, but it's not the point. Let's look at, uh, it's a, you'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have your Bible. Let's start in verse 33. We're all fairly familiar with the story of David and Goliath, so I'm not going to rehash that, because that's not what the sermon is about. But hear this. Hear what, hear what Saul says to David and then what David says, because this will bring us to the point of that story. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies, or he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, listen to this in verse 37, because we're getting to the point. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then we jump down to verse, starting in verse 45, and we'll read through 47. And David said to the Philistine, when he finally came to face Goliath, he said, and Goliath was mocking him, he said, you came against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I came against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. When we go into the battle, we go into the battle not in our name, not in our own strength. We go in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, listen to this. The day the Lord will deliver, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine armies to the birds and the wild animals, and this is the point. This is the point of David and Goliath here. Okay? It's not about us. Listen to who it's about. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That is the point of David and Goliath. The whole battle that David fought against Goliath was not necessarily just about this young man fighting this giant. That's part of the story. It was for God's glory. He is the one who is to be known. He is the hero of the story. Not David. And David would tell you that. Because he fought in the name of the Lord Almighty. So when we come to this Psalm 65, which is our text today, David wrote this psalm. And we look at the psalm, and it is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. A psalm that, that could have been written after a great battle victory. Or it could have just been written to celebrate the harvest and to celebrate the, the provisions that the Lord had given them. But in either case, it is a psalm that starts with silent praise and ends with, in a loud crescendo with an, 
with an awe-filled adoration of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is due all our praise and wonder. So let's read Psalm 65 together. And as you read it, I want you to look and notice how many times the word you or your is in this psalm. And think of this like a song or a prayer. And think about this as how many times is it that when we pray, do we actually use the word you or your instead of I? Let's read this. Starting in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God of Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with green. They shout and sing together for joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this psalm. We thank you, God, for you. I mean, honestly, this whole thing is about you as we see in this psalm, Lord, that you are worthy of our praise. You are mentioned 16 times in this psalm. Father God, this I come before you and repent of how many times I've tried to make everything about myself when it's really about you. I pray, God, that as we go through this psalm together today, that we would see the greatness of you, that you are the one who is worthy of our praise. You are the one who is worthy of our adoration. It is you who chose us. It is you who gave us our salvation. There is nothing that we do to gain your favor because we already have your favor because you decided to give it to us. You are the one who provides the provision, Lord. I pray, God, that as we speak through this today, that you would be the one who speaks and that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first point today, when we look at this, and we look at verses 1 through 3, is that we praise the one, the one who is worthy. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone 
for our transgressions. Now that was in the ESV, which is what we normally use. But I, I really love how the, the NESB pulls out verse 1. Listen to what the NESB says. There will be silence before you in praise in Zion. And the vow will be fulfilled for you. So when we looked at Psalm 62 a few weeks ago, we saw the same thing, a praise of God in silence. David understands the power and the majesty of praising our God in reverent silence. One day when we see the Lord face to face, we too will be moved to silence. The awe of looking on the face of our Lord, it will overcome all of us as we see his glory. We will not be able to speak. It will be too much for us. We will be overcome by his awesome presence. Like Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, when he saw the Lord and he saw the train of his robe fulfilling, or filling the, room, the throne room, his presence was overwhelming. And Isaiah said, woe is me. The word vow here means this is an offered promise to God. Zion means the city of God or Jerusalem where the Jews would come and they would present their offerings to the Lord, their vows or their promises to praise Him and to follow His law. And it could have been done in silence. Prayerful, reverent silence before the throne of our God. El Elyon, the Most High God. Jehovah Shammah, the one who is there. Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. And we look at verse 2. I mean, we could just stay in verse 1 the entire day and never finish the psalm. Verse 2, our Most High is the one who hears our prayers. Listen to what this says one more time. Oh, you who hear prayer. He hears our prayer. That is a promise, a promise that God must keep because he is a God who keeps his word. He doesn't lie. He is a promise-keeping God. So why then do we find it so difficult to pray? Why do we still wonder if God is listening to me? So I ask you this, if you are struggling with prayer, if you are struggling thinking that God is not listening to you, if he is not hearing you, I ask you to memorize Psalm 65 too. It's very simple. O oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. He hears your prayer. We see an example of that this week. Pray like he hears you. Pray with confidence. Pray with fervent expectation that he hears you, that he wants you to talk to him. Our God wants our prayers. He doesn't need our prayers. He wants to hear from his people. He is the one who draws people to himself. Isaiah 40, verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord in this case is Jesus. He will come and has now come to reveal the glory of the Lord to all people. 
In verse 3 in our psalm says this, it explains why Jesus came. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. It is the Lord alone who atones for our sin, who covers them from his sight. By Jesus' death on the cross, there is no need anymore for any more animal sacrifice. Our sins are fully paid for. He is the perfect spotless lamb, the lamb of God who satisfied God's wrath with due payment for our iniquities by taking it on himself. Willingly, as was his father's will for him, to come and save his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, this is great news. This is a God worthy of our praise. And now by putting our faith and our trust in him alone, our sins are not only covered, but they are obliterated for eternity. The Lord looks down on believers, and he doesn't see our sin. He sees the purification of the blood of his Son covering us. Praise the Lord. Amen? Wake up, people. Today, this is, we are praising the Lord this morning. And we can know that the Lord hears our prayers, just as he says he does, without question, without doubt, because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Again, look at the prayers regarding the air conditioning this week. I mean, remember what Thursday night felt like, those of us who were in the fellowship hall. It was miserable, wasn't it? What does it feel like now? You want to know what it feels like? It feels like answered prayer. Does it not? I mean, that's, that's what it feels like. It feels like a holy God who loves his people. This is what the coolness of the church feels like and represents. Because you know what? There is a God in La Junta, and his name is Jesus Christ. In verse 4 now, as we transition from the first three into verse 4, excuse me, in verse 4, we'll see the word you and your used four times. Four times we see praise is going to the Lord regarding the love for us and his desire for us to dwell with him. The second point is that our God brings his people into his courts. Verse 4 says, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house the holiness of your temple. Blessed are those the Lord selects and brings near to him to dwell in his courts, the courts of his house, his holy temple. See, during this time when the psalm was written, this meant to dwell in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem because that's where the Lord was in the Holy of Holies. But let us, as Sherry read this morning in Revelation 21, what this looks like in New Testament times for us. And I saw no temple in the city. Why? Why would we not see a temple in the new heaven and the new earth? Here's why. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The Lord God Almighty in the new heaven and the new earth, when we get to eternity to live with him forever, will be living among us. There is no need to go to the temple because 
we are the church. The temple is the Lord. His presence is open. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The curtain in the Holy of Holies split down the middle, and it was open for everyone to come. And we will be with him. Just like he designed it in Genesis 1, we will come full circle, and we will be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord. There will be no night. There will be no need for a sun or a moon. Because the glory of the Lord himself will be the light that lights us for eternity. The gates will always be open, but there will be nothing to defile him that will be allowed in. No sin. No sinners. None of those who hate God. Only those whom he has called to himself and have put their faith and trust in him. Who have repented of their sins. If that is not you this morning, then I would take a look at myself and I would repent and come to the Lord Jesus today. This is a holy place. Because there is a God in Lahunta, and his name is Jesus. We cannot overemphasize this, because this is the great hope that we have as Christians. That we will be in God's presence for eternity. This must always remain in the forefront of our minds and our thoughts. The praise of God for his provision and a permanent dwelling place with him. This should be on the end of our tongues in praise at every moment of our life, whether they are good times or difficult times. The term satisfied, it means to be fulfilled, to be satiated. And what does this mean? Well, let me, let me pose a question to you. Does the reality of dwelling with Jesus in heaven enough for you is it enough is that satisfying does that satiate your hunger what if it was only him and not rolling green hills or whatever your mind pictures that heaven's going to be like what if it was only jesus and no loved ones is that enough is jesus alone enough or would it be more satisfying to have a dwelling place where all of your dreams and wishes were fulfilled? Where everyone you wanted to meet and see for eternity was there, but Jesus wasn't. Which version of heaven would be more fulfilling? More satisfying? If you say the second version, then I probably won't see you in heaven. Because Christ must be enough he is enough he will be enough and that is what the psalmist is saying in verse four and now as we move to verses five through eight we see that the joy of praising god is our ruler and king we see his sovereign rule over all things on earth with a god as powerful as our god why would we ever turn to something or someone else to satisfy us. Our third point is that the praise belongs alone to our faithful ruler and king. As we look through verses 5 through 8, it says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roarings of the sea, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the people, 
so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning in the evening to shout for joy. So in this section, we read in verse 5 that by God's awesome deeds, he answers us. He answers our prayers, which we talked about. He quiets our fears. He settles our trembling. He rules from his mighty throne. He is the righteous God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth, meaning he is the trust, the confidence, the security of the whole cosmos. His awesome deeds cause us a dreadful fear of a holy God. We should be astonished by the things that we see him do and has done. So when I ask, was the last time, if you've ever done this, that you wrote down all the things that you have seen God do in your life that caused you to fear him with a reverence that only he is due. What I mean by that is when you think about what he has done that has caused you to be so astonished by him, it drove you to your knees. It took your breath away. All of us have those things. When was the last time you wrote them down and praised him for them? By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. In these two verses, in 6 and 7, David lists two things that bring him the awe of God and proclaims that all people, Jew or Gentile, believer or unbeliever, are dumbstruck over. I remember growing up in Nebraska, and the first time I came to Colorado and I saw the mountains, I lived in the flat plains. You know, we had hills that were not very big. To see the mountains, it was a sight to behold. It brought awe. I had never seen anything like that before. I remember the first time I saw the ocean and how amazed I was, and I still am when I see it, how endless it looks. Thinking to myself, I would not want to be caught out in a storm so far from shore, which Mike and I share a story about that, which we don't have time to talk about this morning, but I'll tell you later. I think of the different sunsets that you see go down when you you live near the mountains and you see the sunset over the mountains or, or you see the sunset over the ocean. Each one incredibly gorgeous in its own way. But then I live here and I grew up in Nebraska and the beautiful, wonderful sunsets that we see in the plains. My brother-in-law Mike is here and I remember that our families went camping together at Ridgeway State Park and one night it was a clear, beautiful night, and we saw billions of stars, it had to be, in the sky. And Mike teaches astronomy in high school, and he brought a star chart, and we were able to see every constellation that was on his chart for that day and pick them all out. The awesomeness of the sky speaks of the awesomeness of our God. Thinking about how far, in reality, each one of those stars is from each other, and yet the creator God that we serve placed each one of them by his own voice in such a way that we here on earth can look up there and see an object that he designed. How does that just happen? It doesn't. It takes a holy God to do that. Those kinds of things should cause us to just 
worship Him in a way that only God deserves our worship. We now see the, the Johnson Webb Telescope, and it promises us the ability to see into space further than we ever could before. But now scientists have also discovered that the universe is still expanding out. And so no matter how big the telescope is that we make, at some point we will not even be able to see what we could see now. That is how big our God is. He is huge. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is worthy of our praise. Verse 6, the one who by his might established the mountains, being girded with his might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. How in awe of God are you? I'm pretty much in awe of him, even through the little things that happened this week. But sometimes we always think of the big things and we forget the little things that he does. And sometimes it's the little things that bring us the most awe, like the joy of air conditioning. I cannot tell you how joyful it is to stand here in air conditioning thinking that I was going to stand here and have a towel and just be bathed in sweat. This is awesome. You might be here a while. We'll see. You know, when we see the tumultuous of the waves and stuff, this reminds me of the time that Jesus calmed the storm in Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening came, he had said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them, they took with them in the boat just as he was. And, and they were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was at the stern. Get this, Jesus in the storm, remember, he was asleep. He was laying on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? These are his disciples who had been with him. Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, that dreaded fear because of who God is. And said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. Because there is a God in this earth, on this earth, in heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the creator and ruler of all creation, his mighty works bring awe to all people. A reverent, a dreadful fear of the one who could crush us under his thumb in a second if he wanted to but he chose not to. God is the one who makes the morning and the evening, the sunrise and the sunset shout for joy. Think about that. There is a joy and a hope in a new day that the rising of the sun brings a new chance. 
And there's a joyful peace and a rest that we get when the sun goes down and we can sleep pondering his greatness. I think of this like a conductor of a magnificent symphony who is orchestrating all creation to come to a crescendo in the great finale. I see God raising his baton and asking the kettle drums to start slow and then build to a deafening roar while he asks the cymbals to crash together as we read these last four verses of our psalm. And of the 16 times in this psalm that we saw the word you or your, eight of them reside in these last five verses. And really, it's verses 9 to 11, because verses 12 and 13 are really the results of what happens in 9 and 11. This is the finale, the final crescendo that brings this magnificent symphony of praise in the Psalm 65 to a close. Our fourth point is, from your throne you bless us with your provision. Let's read, starting in verse 9. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich, enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. You water it in its furrows abundantly, setting, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. And the valleys deck themselves with grain. And they shout and sing together for joy. We live in an agricultural setting. And so we immediately can relate to what David was saying. And we can see that there are eight things that we can take note of here. We'll run to them quickly. The first one is, as the creator, the Lord is the one who visited the earth, who created the earth. He is the creator. The second is, he is the one who waters the earth. The third is, he is the one who enriched it with the minerals needed to grow things. The fourth is that he is the one who provided the grain. The fifth one is, he is the one who prepared the land. The sixth is he is the one who brings showers to water the fields. The seventh is he decides when the harvest will be plentiful. And the eighth one is he is the one whose wagons are filled with the bounty of harvest. So we can see this from the very practical, literal meaning here in this psalm regarding a, a harvest, which we are in harvest time now in the valley and we need to be thankful for his provisions but I tell you we can also translate this into a spiritual interpretation without making a big stretch all of these things that David is praising God for he also does with this harvest of saints his people listen to what Matthew 9 says starting in verse 36 when he Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. God is the one who prepares the hearts of the people, who chooses what field will provide the bounty, who waters the gospel message that we sow as he commands us to do. It is God who enriches the listeners with the power of the Holy Spirit to understand, and he is the one who opens their eyes. It is God who knows where the fruit will be found. And it is the Lord's harvest wagons that will be overflowing with the abundance on the day he calls all his people to his home. There is a God, and his name is Jesus Christ. This week and the week before, we handed out a lot of cards and invitations. We sowed a lot of seeds in many different fields. And we needn't worry that our efforts have not established a bountiful harvest yet. Because it takes time. Because think of it like this. It would be like a farmer who plants a seed. He waters it and he feeds it. And then he stands there on the same day he plants it. And then he stands there and says, well, I thought you would produce fruit. You haven't. So I guess you won't. And I'll just plow you over and try again. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in agriculture and it doesn't work with the Lord. So we needn't worry that he hasn't produced the fruit yet because it takes time. It takes a lot of water. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of feeding through prayer. So don't be discouraged. The Lord is at work. Isaiah 55, 10-13 encourages this way. Starting in verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it to do. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Verses 12 to 13 end this great symphony. And we'll close with this. We'll let the word of God close us. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. And the valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Be encouraged. Be full of praise. There is a God in the hunt, and his name is Jesus. And if you are here today and you do not know him, today would be a great day to come and ask us how that can be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this psalm. We thank you, God, for your provision. We thank you, God, for the, you are the one who calls us. You are the one who brings us into your dwelling place. You are the one who provides all that we need. You are the one who brings the bounty, Lord, that belongs to you and you alone. 
I see in this psalm, Lord, that there is no work that we do other than just obedient work to follow through on what you have given us to do. But all of the reaping is up to you. You are the one who provides everything that is needed for the harvest to happen. Let us not be discouraged, Lord. Let us be a people who see this, this, this psalm, this, this psalm of praise of the harvest, whether it's a psalm that is used against the battle, which we know that we fight against here that Matt talked about last week, or it's the harvest time, which we are doing this week by, in these next four weeks, by inviting people to come and be a part of our church and feeding them, Lord, and serving them not only food, but the very word of God that brings eternal life. I pray, God, that you would water those seeds that we have planted. I pray, God, that you would bring the sun that will help them to grow. Father God, I, provide, I ask that you would provide the fruit, that you would lead us to the fields where the fruit could be found. Help us to be the laborers, Lord, who go out into the fields and do the work that you have called us to do, to do it with joy in our hearts. I praise you and thank you and ask for your blessing upon us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So now,